0: It's just a moment of grace, when God cracked my heart and he let me stand in the crevice and he let me see myself for exactly who and what I was. And just in that instant, everything changed. In, a, in the blink of an eye, everything changed.
1: Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak From Studio AA Deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Cliff G that you heard on this here episode number 283 of Sober Speak, and you will be hearing so much more from Cliff G in just a moment, but... First things first, this here episode is brought to you by Marie and Adrian and Michelle. Marie and Adrian and Michelle went to our website, www.soberspeed.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Marie and Adrian and Michelle. This episode, number 283, is coming right out to Ewan's. Okay, I mentioned this last week, but uh, just in case you missed it, uh, every year, the lovely Mrs. M posts on our Sober Speak website at www.soberspeak.com the top episodes from the previous year. So if you go to our website and click on the little tab that says top episodes, it'll give you the top 20 most listened to episodes of last year, and the reason that I started doing this in the first place is because I had a lot of people writing me and they were asking, "Hey, um, where do I start? You have uh, so many episodes. You know, which ones should I listen to first? And for me, it was always like saying, "Hey, like this is my favorite child" or something like that. So it was hard for me to make a judgment like that. However. I can post the ones that have been most uh, listened to over uh, the years, and uh, that's just a good starting point. And not only does it have the top episodes from 2022, it has the top episodes from 2021, 2020 2019 and I think 2019 is when we actually started this so if you want to go there and uh, that uh, and you're looking for someplace to start with the episodes that would be a good place all right now on to mr. Cliff G uh, you will notice that oh, oh oh sorry sorry I'm uh, I'm not set up here with something but but I'm getting there real quick uh, my deepest apologies. Uh, Cliff G. is from Oklahoma City, and you will certainly be able to tell that from his accent. He has been sober in AA since 2001. My favorite part with Cliff is when he talks about his, quote, back problem. (laughs) You'll hear what he says about that. He also discusses his newcomer plan and what that looked like, his moment of grace, being beat into a state of reason and reasonableness. Uh, talks about his sponsor, Dan, uh, the 11th step medi- and meditation, 11th step in prayer and meditation and all that kind of good stuff, and much, much more. So everybody go ahead, um, buckle your seats and get ready for Mr cliff g and usually i would say at this point we will have plenty oh listener feedback at the end of this here episode but because of my schedule i won't go into it uh, we will not have in fact we will have zilch listener feedback at the end of this here episode but we'll be able to catch up with it here in the near future i am sure so sit back enjoy cliff and uh i take this one week at a time hope to be back next week uh until then uh enjoy cliff and um and enjoy your day have a so- safe and sober day all right everybody so today we're sitting here with mr cliff g and that is a cliff with one f am i right cliff that's correct sir so cliff g cliff with one f g i am going to ask you to introduce yourself give your sobriety date if you wish to do such and tell people where you live in this world of ours i'd be grateful to
0: do that hey everybody i'm cliff i'm
1: a grateful alcoholic my sobriety
0: date is august 15th of 2001 and for that short amount of time, i'm as grateful as i know how to be and john i'm from oklahoma city
1: oklahoma Okay see and uh, I think it's worth pointing out that you live in Oklahoma State, but you live in Oklahoma, but you are a big Oklahoma State fan. Am I right? A big. Uh, that's correct. Correct. <laughs> you are
0: correct, sir. Matter of fact, went to basketball game today, watched uh, the Cowboys tee it up
1: with the Texas Longhorns. By the way, the Cowboys of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Yes, versus the, not I'm the sure Dallas you- ones. those are the ones i uh, have a tendency to follow okay right on all right so um you uh were referred to me i believe by marty c if i'm not mistaken Uh, and you you know marty c is a a mutual friend of ours he is a fantastic guy in fact i just got off spending uh quite a bit of time with him (laughs) uh, uh having some conversation i'll put it that way Great AA
0: member, great AA member. And I can't remember if it was Marty or one of the guys down in Texas that I met at uh, Christian Butte. I can't remember. Well, anyway, regardless, I'm here.
1: I'm And I'm glad you're here. All right. So let's go a little bit into, it's all about you, Cliff. Let's go ahead and talk Hi. about, at least for, you know, the the time where we're together here today. Why don't we go ahead and kind of, you start where you want to start, Um in other words, uh, uh, do, where, where would you like to kind of begin sharing your experience, strength and hope? I'll leave that up to you.
0: <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's talk about the end. It's always, because uh, if we start at the beginning, it's always the same, right? It's just tragedy. And then there's a, a period of redemption. And so, you know, but I will say this, that I'm a kid growing up, John, that, uh, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't articulate this to you if I were uh, at the time, but in retrospect, and after doing a lot of inventories, I can tell you about what it felt like to be a kid growing up. And I can, my earliest memories are, uh, and by the way, it came from a great home, great mom and dad, non-alcoholic home, uh, great parents. Uh, I don't have anybody to blame anything on, right? So. But I, from as far back as I can remember, I'm that kid that uh, walked into kindergarten and looked around. I thought, my God, these kids know the answer to all the questions, and I don't even know what book they're reading out of. I mean, it's this <laughs> idea that <clears throat> looking around thinking, you know, when I'm in grade school, looking at the kids and being around them for a while, I, I had thoughts like this. If I lived in that neighborhood, if, I, if my parents had this job, if we drove this car, if I wore those clothes, if I was friends with those people. Uh, When I'm in high school, if I was taller, if I was more athletic, if I drove a different car, dated this girl, time I'm in the workforce, if I had a better job, if I lived in a better neighborhood, if I had his wife, his girlfriend, heck, if I could catch them both at the same time, somehow, if I could change the external circumstances of my life, it would be better. And that kind of delusion that we talk about in step three, if I can just manage well, that I can rest this satisfaction and happiness, that spiritual malady, it has plagued me, man, as far back as I can remember. And the malady of uh, that first kind of piece of alcoholism that Dr. Silkworth talked about alcoholics being restless, irritable, discontent. My God, I remember the first time I heard somebody say that in the AA meeting, I thought, that's it. That's it. Now, I didn't know they were cheating and reading out of the book, but I thought, my God, that's (laughs) it. They they have put words to I have felt my whole life. And uh, when I was 11, 11 years old, under a big shade tree down in southeast Oklahoma, my brother tipped, uh, opened up Tall Boy Country Club malt liquor and uh, opened it up, took a big drink and handed it to me. And I took a big drink, and I don't know how long it took us to drink that uh, tall boy malt liquor, but by the time it was done, the magic of alcohol had happened for me. That everything I have just described seemed to vanish, seemed to just disappear. And the book, which talks about uh, that illusion that is created by alcohol, it talks about, you know, that uh, it is so powerful. That some alcoholics chase it to the gates of insanity and death, not up to, but into the gates of insanity and death. I tell you, every time I drink, I'm willing to go there to escape that rest of cerebral discontents, that malady. Trouble is, I don't know. I'm allergic to it. You know, I don't know that once I ingest that, the physical features of alcoholism kicks in and I'm off and running. And uh, when I'm not drinking. You know, that mental obsession is on me. That restless irritable discontent hits me, drives the obsession. And I've got that third piece now, the obsession driving me. And it's just, I'm in that endless cycle that Silkworth talked about, you know, spree, remorse, repeat. And I'm just washing repeat and hopeless. And I washed up the shores of Alcoholics Anonymous in the summer of 2001. Not my first time in AA, but what I hope to be my last time in the summer of 2001.
1: So... And- just let me stop you there. So so you said it wasn't your first time. Had you, what brought you to AA the first time and how many years was it before that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, in 1988, um, some, I was 27 years old. Some people showed up at my office Some class law school. I'm a lawyer by trade. Some law school classmates uh, showed up at my office with an airplane ticket and said, Hey, we know what you've been doing. We know how you're living your life. And here's an airplane ticket. If you don't catch a plane out of here tomorrow morning to Arizona, they had uh, lined me up a treatment center in Arizona. If you don't catch a plane out of here tomorrow, we're going down to the bar association. Tell them what you've been doing, get your ticket pulled.
1: Hmm.
0: So I'm not stupid. I said, well, give me that ticket. You know, <laughs> And uh, uh, off to Arizona, I went. And they told me when I got out of Arizona, I said, "Now listen, When you get out, you got to go to AA. And I'm going to tell you something, John, and and you may can identify with. I know certainly probably some of the people listening to this can is when I went to treatment, alcohol wasn't my problem. I mean, they thought it was my problem, but certainly I didn't think it was my problem. Now, I don't want you to think that I didn't recognize I had some kind of problem and I did. the problem I believed I had was a back problem. Everybody seemed to be on mine. I need to get them off. (laughs) So I went to treatment to make that happen. And I went out there for 30 days and in the summer of 2000 and uh, uh, 1988 and uh, got out, they said, you have to go to AA. Well, it's kind of like, you know, they didn't say you need to get a sponsor. You need to work. they said, you need to go to AA. So that's what I did. I went to AA and I would, I would come uh, late. I would leave early. I would drink your coffee, occupy a chair, chase your women around, and didn't change anything about my life. Nothing. I didn't drink for a period of time. And then eventually that happened again. And I started drinking again, but nothing about that changed. So I knew what AA was in the summer of 2001. I knew what AA was. And again, I didn't go to AA in 01 because I had a, pro- a drinking problem. That was not my problem. Now, I hadn't worked for three years. I just need you to know that. I hadn't worked. I had a, I had married. By that time, I was on my fourth and final, what she likes to say, my fourth and final wife, <laughs> and uh, uh, she had this great job. She was selling radio advertisement uh, when sports radio just kind of went big in the late two, early 2000s, and <clears throat> she was selling radio advertisement, and uh, about the last three years of my drinking, I just quit working. And I like to tell people that's when I became a functioning alcoholic. I had a wife that worked, and, uh, <laughs> but I was a real go-getter. I'd take her to work and go get her. And so I I just, the last three years of my drinking, I just I just never drew a sore breath. And finally, in the, at the end of June of one she'd had all of me. She could stand and threw me out of the house. And so I came up with, in the summer of 2001, a newcomer plan. I think it's so important if you're new in AA to have a newcomer plan, I certainly had mine. And, and uh, when I went to AA on June 30th of 01, I had a newcomer plan. She thought I had a drinking problem. She believed I had a drinking problem and maybe a minor accelerant problem. I like to decorate my drinking <laughs> so I can stay up. So I went I went to AA not believing those were my problems. My problem was homelessness at that time. I had a homelessness problem, and my solution was I'm going to go to AA because she thinks I have a drinking problem, I'm going to do this for 30, 60 days, get her calmed down, let me get back in the house, and then I'm going to go back to live my life the way I want to live it. And by the way, it is a bulletproof newcomer plan. It is a rock-solid newcomer plan unless you're alcoholic. And if you're alcoholic, <laughs> it's not worth a tinker's darn. But I did not know that, and so that was my plan in the summer of 2001 to go to AA, man.
1: Okay, so just real quick, uh, I, I do want to, you kind of flew by this real quick, but you said that, it, it sounds like you're in your late 20s, early 30s, and you're you're on your fourth wife, is that correct? When I came to AA, I'm 41 when I rolled into A, on my fourth
0: wife, yes. Gotcha.
1: And, yeah. uh, and so, and that, is that, I've heard Lori, is that correct? Lori,
0: that's right. Great yeah. member of the Alon family group. Great member of the Alamo family
1: group. So and and I'm taking a little detour here, but Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I guess I'm wondering what drew her toward you. Was it those Alan tendencies? Or well, and I know you don't want to tell her story, but just I, in general. I, I, I can tell you how she tells
0: it. Uh, and uh you can go to her C D and catch it. So I'm not telling tales on her. So she says that uh when we were dating, when we first started dating, friends that we both knew would call her and say, I understanding your are and cliff. And she'd say, yes. And they'd go, oh, and she said, well, tell me about him. And then she would say whatever they would say to her about how wonderful I was. And then they'd say, but <laughs> he's a liar and a cheat and a thief. And you need to stay as far away from him as you can. And she says what she heard was he needs you. And so <laughs> that's how that went. And so what I can tell you about that is the horns in my head fit the holes in her. <laughs> and we just we just did the alcoholic dance and uh, worked it worked for us, you know.
1: Okay, so how long had you been married to Lori when you when you came in in two thousand one?
0: So we got married in June of nineteen ninety nine, and uh, so we've been married three years when I washed up. So it was just after our third anniversary when she kicked me out of the house.
1: Okay, so the wheels were falling off. It oh. sounds like. Right. Yes. Uh, Was she in Al-Anon by that
0: time? No, she did not go to Al-Anon until after till uh, till when I went to the AA meeting when I on June 30th, when I came up with my newcomer plan and went. She actually had called, uh, was in communication with my third ex-wife, the mother of my child. (laughs) And uh, she said uh, she called her to check up on me if I went to the AA meeting or not. And she said, uh, yeah, he did go. And she said, well, great. What am I going to do? And my third ex-wife says to her, would you go to a meeting with me? And so so my third ex-wife took my current wife to her first Al-Anon meeting, her second Al-Anon meeting, and her third Al-Anon meeting. And Lori likes to say, I don't know how you got here, but I got here with the ex-wife. So (laughs) whatever works for you, baby, that's what we do, right? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, what a story. Okay. And I know you guys travel sometimes, right? I believe that you'll yes. do an AA talk. She does an oh, ally yeah. talk at a conference. Yes. 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 That's great. Yes. Okay. Uh so back to the the newcomer <laughs> plan, the 2001, uh, You're coming in. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I show
0: up at AA on June the 30th, uh, at a at a young people's meeting. And uh with my newcomer plan that I'm just I'm just going to uh go to AA. And then uh, after about 30, 60 days, she'll settle down. She'll get distracted by work and life. And I can go back to what I'm doing. And uh, let me tell you, John, when I was growing up, maybe you had this experience too. When I was growing up, I went to high school and college with uh, guys and gals that used to look a lot like me. And I mean that they drank like me. I would, you know, we, would at holiday season, we would uh, come home from college and uh, we would burn it down and we'd be there for Christmas, but from Christmas to new year's, I mean, we literally would just not be anywhere in sight. We'd drag in new year's day. And so they looked a lot like me. And then those people, some strange things happened to some of those people. They met him, they met her, they got these great jobs and they just quit drinking. And the strange part about that was when they quit drinking, their lives got better. They started having kids. They started buying bigger houses, getting promotions at work, getting those things, What are that 401ks, that kind of stuff. I mean, their life got better when they stopped drinking. And in the summer of 2001, I went to AA and just stopped drinking. And I'm going to tell you something. I would go to AA every day. And from the time I got up to the time I could finally fall asleep at night, all I could think about was how do I drink and how do I stay sober for, um, from June the 30th, I would think, how do I drink and how do I stay sober? It was a constant thought of mine. It was the obsession. And I'm trying to duck and dodge and just, you know, hang in there, just don't drink, go to meetings. And I'm going to tell you something I discovered in the summer of 2001, uh, after 45 days of just not drinking and going to meetings, I am not like my friends. When I stop drinking, my <laughs> life does not get better. It gets worse. And it gets worse, not uh, necessarily externally. It gets worse because that spiritual malady that I have just continues to ache and grow. And the restless, irritable discontinuous, the four horsemen show up every day at my house and they just go with me everywhere I go. And I don't know about you, but alcoholism doesn't visit me at two in the afternoon. It's two in the morning. Cliff, mm-hmm. get up. We got a lot of good stuff to cover today. We need <laughs> you in the game and they're just on me. And it, so alcoholism is just on me. And I go to AA for 45 days and somewhere in the middle of August, I go to a noon meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I get up out of there and I walk out on a Thursday and I go to leave from that AA meeting and go right to a bar and start drinking. And I don't know about how you are when you drink, but sometimes when I start drinking, as our book describes, I go at large. And and I went at large <laughs> and uh, I ran away from home for about three days and came back on a Sunday and uh, she was not happy again. And uh, I been got at- thrown out of my house. Yeah, thrown out one more time. I went to a buddy's house and detox for a few days, and on August the 15th of 2001, I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was the day that I sat down here. It's the day I sat down in AA. I didn't know that was going to be the day, and really, I, I think most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, it, we would have done just as well to take a dart and throw it out of caliber. I mean, I don't know that August the 15th is today. I mean, I have no, I have no idea that on that, that morning when I got up, I had no plans to stop drinking. That was not on the horizon. I'm, I've revised my newcomer plan. It's now 60 to 90 days. I got to get over the 45 day hunt, but I'm going to figure that out. And, uh, I've got no designs on stopping drinking. That's a, And this is a great thing. I think about, uh, Alcoholic synonymous, in particular, God's grace uh, working through alcoholic synonymous is that, uh, you know, we never really do know. And uh, on that day, what happened to me, I firmly believe this as I sat in that AA meeting that I had, I think, what is absolutely necessary for every alcoholic to have. And that is I had that implosion of self internally, that internal implosion of self where I just knew this is it. I'm done. And the reason I knew that is this, is that I'm sitting in that AA meeting and there's five minutes left in it. And you know what I'm thinking? How do I drink and how do I stay sober? That thought has not changed. I've been going on that thought for the 45 days before and I'm picking it up once again. And there's five minutes left in that AA meeting. And really, I believe this is the only place you can tell stories like this and people understand and get this. and they, they They know it's the truth. There was five minutes left in that meeting and all that chatter in my head. Don't, you know, how we drink, how we stay sober, just went quiet. Just went quiet. And a new thought came to me. And this was the thought. And the thought was this. If you don't do something different today, you're going to die. And uh, I know I have met people in alcoholics Anonymous who said uh, God talked to them. And I believe it. I believe it because on that day, I believe that's what happened for me. That God quieted, quieted that chatter, and in a voice said to me, "If you don't do something different today, pal, you're going to die." And uh, which began the ripple effect of the implosion itself, where I knew the jig was up. You know, and I think that's what happens. That God, you know, in those moments in time, that we talk about the book talks about that incomprehensible demoralization. Uh, We thought around in the rooms of AA, the gift of desperation. It's a moment of grace. It's just a moment of grace. When God cracked my heart and he let me stand in the crevice and he let me see myself for exactly who and what I was in just in that instant. And uh, everything changed In in the blink of an eye. Everything changed.
1: Okay, so you get sober, God's cracking up your heart, <laughs> and you're able to see things in a different realm. Uh, you're able to see things that perhaps you've never seen before. You're, you're, you're being repositioned. Did you recognize that at the time of being something? Uh, I, you know, you're like me. I didn't know when my sobriety day was. I had to go back and I had to piece it together. I didn't really expect to stay sober this time. But when you're sitting there, when you're coming back in in August of 2001 and, and you have this kind of uh, knowing, if you will, mm-hmm. was that a pivotal – was that something that you recognized at the time or was it in retrospect?
0: It, no, it was something I absolutely recognized at the time that I got – uh, there's a line in the sand here. When the voice says, if you don't do something different today, you're going to die. I knew that there was a day that I had to make – You know, book talks about it. we stood at the turning point. Well, I knew this was a turning point. Now, that I only know that in retrospect, that that's what it was. But in the moment, I knew that, that something different was happening to me. The key to that was this, John. There'd been an old man at that AA meeting I'd been going to. Every day, he would catch me, and he would look at me and say, Bub, how are you doing? <laughs> and I would look at him and say, fine, because that's the alcoholic answer. And he would look back at me and say, well, listen, if there's ever anything I can do for you, let me know. And, of course, I'm thinking – if there is, and then I'm just ghosting him, you know? So that old man offered me friendship and fellowship every day for 45 days straight, never varied. every day. He'd catch me, but when I would say fine and sure, if there ever is anything, I'll let you know. He would just step aside. He didn't try to say, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to get this book. You need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. You need to take these. He offered me friendship and fellowship. And when I didn't take the bait, He'd step aside and let whiskey do the job because he knew he didn't want to pull me one drink up short. He knew that John Barleycorn was his best advocate and I would go out there and it would whip me enough. You know, I love that part. in we agnostics, you know, that part where it talks about uh, uh, that we had been beaten into a state of reasonableness. The next line is perhaps my favorite in the whole book. It says, for some of us, this was a tedious process. And I'm telling you, it was (laughs) tedious for me. I had to take a lot of whippings in order for me to get here and stay here. But that old man every day offered me that. And on August the 15th, when that meeting was over and I broke, he caught me one more day. And when he asked me those same questions, I gave him different answers to both of them. He asked me how I was doing. I said, not very good. He looked at me, said, I know. And then he said Is there if there's ever anything I can do to help you let me know and i my head said, you just need to run and my uh, my mouth came I need a sponsor and that's how and that's how it started and uh you know he the old man said, well let's sit down and talk about it that's a lot to ask of somebody and that conversation changed everything and I think that's important because we have I, I believe everybody every alcoholic has those moments I've described where there's something in our light. You talked about it being a pivotal point and maybe we don't recognize it, but all of us, I think, I believe have those moments like that. We talk about grace, which I absolutely believe it is, but there's a, there's a window on grace. And because I'm selfish and self-centered, what I'll do is I'll pull the window close on grace. And I think what was so important for me is, is on that day, in that implosion of self that the old man climbed through the window. And I think that's why it's so imperative for me as an alcoholic and really for all of us who identify that way is that when we find new people, we have to crawl through their window and we get there, we crawl through that window and carry them a beneficial message. That old man was consistent every day. He didn't try to force anything on me, but the first time I gave him a different answer, He was on me like a chicken on a June bug, man. I mean, he was just (laughs) there with knowledge that he conveyed to me, experience, strength, and hope. And he shared that with me. You know, he talked about what he was like, what had happened, what he was like today. It was like he's reading my mail. And, uh, you know, when he was done talking, I'm like a high stakes poker player, man. I mean, I just push all my chips to the middle of the table of the AA table. And I've been all in on it ever since. And and I'm, and I'm, if I can tell you anything about AA, I'll tell you this, I'm a satisfied customer of Alcoholics Anonymous.
1: (laughs) I love that. A satisfied customer of Alcoholics Anonymous. We've been talking lately, you know, uh, it's been the holiday season and you always talk about how you know we uh, generally speaking there's a ramp up in the number of attendees we have and stuff like that we said you know business is good lately business is good membership drive i mean that's it man <laughs> <laughs> now i get this from my friend david g but david always says uh, you know the 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 difference between you know like when you go to a gym and everything gets real crowded after the beginning of the year, sure. and you just kind of yourself. Well, I, man, I wish these people would just go back to where they came. You know, they're they're not going to last anyway. The <laughs> difference between uh, uh, a gym and the AA rooms is we we really want people to
0: stay around. Man, we'll make room for them. We'll stand up in the corner, let them have the chair.
1: That's right.
0: Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so you have now been beaten into a state of reasonableness. By the way, you you mentioned the the gentleman there. I think you called him the old man. Is he your Don, sponsor today? Or? Yeah, Don
0: was my original sponsor and sponsored me to the day he died about uh, 12 years ago. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you about Don. Don was a man. He was just a, he was an AA members, AA member. He he would uh, he he believed this. That if you weren't at the meeting 30 minutes early, you were late. You were late. And like Vince uh, I don't know. About, yeah. I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse on earth than being somewhere you don't want to be, than being there 30 minutes early. <laughs> but Don, Don was a believer in early. He would get there and set the room up, put the books out, you know, make the coffee. And if you wasn't doing that, he was out at this uh, place where the AA place I went to when I got sober was. They had kind of a, a foyer area. He'd be out there with what I thought at the time would be like acolytes, you know, they're reading, writing, praying. That's all the hell they know out there. Read, write, pray, and uh, they would float into the AA room, and they would. Uh, I don't know how they do it wherever whoever uh, people are listening from, but I don't know how they they do it where you all are. It's, probably wrong but in Oklahoma what they do is is uh, the chairperson always ask uh is there any AA related announcements and uh Don it seemed like every meeting Don would make an announcement about what seemed to be what was going on in AA worldwide I mean he would go on for sometimes 75 seconds I mean it just seemed like forever announcing stuff every day and uh and if there's a new person in the room, my God, Don and the Acolytes would be on them like <laughs> they'd just be on them. And uh, but here's something Don would do different. He would give his number, but he would always get a number because he knew no newcomer can lift a 10,000 pound phone. And so Don would call you and he would check on you and uh, he would just make sure you're OK. And uh, I, I always say this because that's the truth. I hope whoever hears this uh, podcast, I hope you have somebody like Don in your life. I hope you do. Um, Because Don saved mine. Because he cared more about me than I did. And he knew more about me than I knew about myself. I live in this uh, delusional world for so long. You know, and he broke through that through this book and these steps. He helped me to break through that and build this relationship with God. It was just uh, it was just beautiful. Don was just a beautiful human being. And he was he helped so many people. uh, And he was just a great, great man. Just a great man.
1: It's a pretty good thing we have here in Alcoholics Anonymous, isn't it?
0: I'm telling you, it's, listen, I quit buying lottery tickets. I've already won. I don't need to buy anymore. I'm already a winner, man.
1: (laughs) Okay. So then let's talk a little bit about, so I want to get your, your, your thought and your, and your thought process where the 11th step is concerned. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I just went to a meeting today and my friend Casey was brought up as a topic as the 11th step and the meditation. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your experience with that. Uh, you know, some of your beliefs, uh, you know, how it has changed up through the years and give me your thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's, and you know, that's a wonderful uh, piece. I, I personally, for me, uh and I can't hardly talk about eleven without talking about ten some so I may mix and mingle here a little bit so uh I'm this guy that uh big prayer, and I would tell you I meditate, but really, because I have old ideas, and your listeners may be familiar with old ideas, some of them may have had one or two in their lifetime. Uh, I come here with old ideas. You know, I grew up in the 70s. I watched Kung Fu, David Carradine, and, you know, <laughs> snatched the pebble from my hand, wheat hopper, and he would get in that lotus position on that pillow. And I think that's what meditation is. And I can't do that. I mean, I can barely get my legs crossed. Lord knows I can't sit quiet with a candle burning. I mean, so rather than try that or ask anybody about it, I just, I tell you I'm doing it, but I don't. So what I'm telling you for a long time in AA, I'm a liar. I'm a liar and alcoholic because I tell you I'm doing this, but I'm paralyzed by fear and old ideas. And I think you know that's the deal: fear of self-reliance. Once again, I can't ask anybody. And uh, you know, there's no chart in my book, and maybe somebody here has one, but there's no chart in the back of my book that says, "Hey, at this year sober, you should be this spiritual." You know, here's the graph: you should be this far along. And we we just are where we are, all of us. We're just where we're at. And uh, finally, I got the courage after enough people talked to me like you're asking me this question. I finally asked somebody, man, I, I can't meditate. And, uh, and I, he said, well, what do you mean by that? What do you think meditation is? So I told him the Kung Fu story. He said, well, that certainly is a type, but that's not the only one. And he began to talk to me about meditation. He talked to me about contemplative meditation. And, uh, I began to buy these books and I began to read them. And I started out with five. He said, just start with five minutes a day, trying this. And I started with five minutes a day. And that for after a week, what happened was it turned into 10 and 15. And then I had all these books. And finally my wife one day came in she said, can I have my kitchen table back? I need my (laughs) kitchen table back. You know, my buddy, Steve L out in Los Angeles, he and I, we have this list of books that we exchange and, you know, it. So meditation became paramount. But the reason I say 10 and 11 is because the 12 and 12 talks about inventory and meditation. And it talks about that it makes for this unshakable foundation. And I think it's so important for, uh, you know, I, I hope today and and the, the, by no means does this happen, but I hope uh, I fall way short. But what I aim for is the desperation 10 through 12 that I had for one through nine, because nine only carries me so far. I can only live so long on the, on the actions I've done one through nine in order to grow spiritually, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous and just in life, I have to make it a rigorous practice of 10, 11, and 12. And so when we talk about meditation, It has totally changed and flipped my whole script. I found things there that I did not know that I needed in my life. And uh, it is a thing that has opened up the channel of prayer uh, coupled with meditation. This opened up this uh, unbelievable relationship with God today. Uh, And my reactions, you know, back in the spiritual experience in the appendix, it talks about this profound alteration to our reactions in life. I have witnessed that in myself. And I think when I begin to see that I'm reacting different for the first time, that's another spiritual experience for me that I am, you know, it's easy not to do something I don't want to do anyway. It is not easy to do something I don't want to do. And when I do those and whenever fiber in me says do this and yet I don't because I know that's not the spiritual principles that I know that's not the right thing. When i when I witness me making those good grown up decisions, that's a spiritual experience for me. And I don't just, uh, you know, our book, Dr. Uh, Jung said to uh, Roland, you know, vital spiritual experiences, plural. And I, 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 I count on those uh, daily to have those kind of experiences. So, man, meditation, and all that 10, 11, 12, man, I, that is the part where I grow. I really grow. They're not, people say something on the maintenance that I don't want to maintain anything. Sure. I want to care for it. I need to grow it. I need to grow this spiritual life. I have, that's where that happens.
1: You and I have a very I don't, I don't want to tell my story here. This is about you, but we have very similar experiences and we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Sometime. This is fantastic. You know, I do want to correct something on the, on the front end of this. I think I said uh, that uh, you uh, I was given your name by uh, Marty or somebody else, but I believe actually it was a friend of mine named Dan G you were at the Crested butte conference that, recently. and right? That's
0: what I said. I think it was somebody from Crested
1: butte. That, yep. uh, yeah. It today. was Dan G. Uh, he's a good uh, friend of mine here. He absolutely. calls himself uh, an alky uh, <laughs> he and he is. was kind <laughs> enough to, to give me your uh, uh, information. And How did you one. like Crested butte?
0: I loved it. My, my wife and I got the opportunity to go there and share this uh, past year and be part of that program is wonderful. The folks, gosh, you know, all those people, folks from Texas up there, just so wonderful. And from all over the country, really, it was just a beautiful place. Wonderful. Really yeah. great.
1: Okay. So let's talk about think about this, right. As we wrap up here, you are talking to people, you're sharing your experience. What experience, strength, and hope would you share from the gut? To people out there that uh, there are people that are listening, uh, a lot of them, this is their first exposure to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is their first time hearing about the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and or Al-Anon or the 12 Steps in general. And they're saying, well, you know, I realize that this works for Cliff with one F by the way, <laughs> this works for Cliff, but I'm not sure that it can work for me. Maybe I'm one of those people that is constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. Why don't you share there to kind of wrap up your thoughts about what you want people to know about AA in general and the 12 steps?
0: Well, you know, I, I believe this to be too. I think, uh, I think, uh, alcohol alcoholism has a a paddle to fit every butt. I think Alcoholics Anonymous has a wrench to fit every nut. Uh, You know, when you come here, we, we all bring uh, our snowflake mentality that I'm different, that I'm unique. You know, we come here, certainly I did that. uh, uh, That's not my problem. You know, my problem is external. If I can get him, her, them, they, it, whatever because I suffer from this delusion. It talks to us in there about, you know, we have to smash the delusion. And I think the biggest delusion that the biggest awakening I had was when I finally saw how I had assigned people roles my whole life, this idea that, uh, you know, if you'll do what I want you to do, I'll be happy unknowingly. I mean, just totally unwittingly of how I assign roles. And so when I get here, surely I don't think none of this is my problem. And, uh, I was, uh, I was as surprised as anybody to find out that I'm alcoholic. I mean, I think it's always where we're all alcoholics are always the last person to know that my gosh, this is really me. And I think if, if you're new and you're listening to this and you're thinking, gosh, could that work for me? You know, I think the deal is is that you just have to give yourself an opportunity. I mean, I certainly did. I mean, and, and I'm a firm believer in this. You don't have to want to get sober to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. And that, let me say that again, because it's such an anomaly. You don't have to want to get sober to get sober here. And I'm living proof of that because I came to AA with no intentions to get sober. That wasn't my deal. I came here to get back in the house. And my gosh, for the last 21 plus years, I've had this incredible life. So if you're skeptical about those alcoholics Anonymous Works, here's just what I can say. What have you got to lose? You know, if we made a list today, if people listen to the list today of the things I wasn't, I'm not willing to do. I'm not willing to go to meetings. I'm not willing to, to read the book. I'm not willing to get a sponsor. I'm not willing to go to sober living. It's whatever kind of things you think I'm not willing to do those things. And then we made another list and the list contained this. What are the things that you have done behind alcoholism or addiction that you said you'd never do? You know, things like uh, uh, hit a, hit another person, abandon my children, uh, 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 go to jail, go to prison, uh, 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 ha- have health problems, uh, become homeless, uh, lose jobs. And the list goes on and on. And I never thought those things would happen. I believed that would never happen. I just thought I'm just going to have a couple of drinks and I never believed those things were happening. And I guess what I would say to this is if you're like me and you, when you took a drink, you thought none of that stuff would ever happen. I'll never come homeless. I'll never lose a job. Yet I was wrong about that. Then just maybe, just maybe I might be wrong about these other things that I'm not willing to go to meetings that I'm not willing to read the book. If I was wrong about those things, that just maybe I will, I might be wrong about these, you know, when I took a drink, the, the deal was I, I, I took a drink because I just needed some relief. I didn't know it set off this tremendous urge. And I would just tell the lie. I'm just going to have a couple and I'd be off and running. I was wrong about that. I've been wrong about a lot of things. And so if you're sitting there in doubt, and if you look at that list, what are the things that uh, alcoholism or drugs or whatever has caused me to do? And I was wrong about that. Maybe you've been wrong about this, too. And just give yourself a chance to see right? What's the thing we say more than anything, John, if you come here and you try this and you don't like it, Hey man, we'll gladly refund your misery. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for having me today, man.
1: I love you too, man. I really enjoyed this. Uh, What a pleasure. What a treat. I always ended up with uh, page 164 from the big book. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Cliff, with one f as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then then. once again cliff thanks for coming on i really appreciate
0: it thank you john appreciate you brother